Hola y bienvenidos to Cipota Colochasas podcast. I am your host, Katia Quesada. Join me in the space where we talk about everything and anything that affects nuestra comunidad latina y de habla hispana. Aquí rompemos con los tabús and we connect with others who are not only making a positive change within themselves, but they're also inspiring others in nuestra comunidad. Thank you for joining me in this space and let's dive into today's episode. Bienvenidos to Cipota Colocha Says. I am your host, Katia Quesada. I am very excited because we am, I am joined by a very special guest, Priscilla Quesada. We connected because we have the same last name. Yay! We're family. We're family. <laughs> um, it's not common where I connect with somebody else that has the same last name and it's spelled the same same girl i've heard um i've seen quesada but with an s same i've so, seen it with, with an the s. Z, i was like okay so i'm over here like yeah. so that's why when you connected with me i was like oh i know exactly that's exactly <laughs> what i thought i'm like we have to be like cousins or somewhere something. Like, we're related Some, somehow somewhere <laughs> in the expansive gene pool we're related somehow but for reference you are uh you're from new york but you're dominicana See, um, I am, well, I was like born in the Bronx, but raised in upper Manhattan, Washington Heights, little mini DR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am first generation here, Dominicana. So I do identify as Dominican, um, Dominican American, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, I'm sure we'll get into it. But once you get into that conversation, yeah, yeah. they're like, no, you got to say you're American because you were born and raised mm-hmm. over there. And, um, and then even being here, they're like, well, you have an accent, so you're not fully American. So what are you? <laughs> but yeah, Dominican-American, um, Washington Heights, but I have moved around a lot. Um, so I've lived in like upstate New York and different states, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Florida, um, Tennessee, New Jersey. I'm like, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, yes, we we have that in common as well, because we are first gen for those who are joining us, perhaps for the very first time. I am first gen uh, Salvadorian American, of course, like you, if people ask me, it's like, oh, what are you? It's like, I'm Salvadorian, but I was born in San Francisco and I do, there is a strong connection. I think when you are first gen to the homeland, to your parents' homeland, you grew up um, raised as if you were living in the homeland. And that creates like this weird dynamic once you start to develop and you, and you start to see the cultural differences between what the American life and then what life would be like, had you been, you know, living in, in your parents' home country, how was that experience for you? Um, it was good, honestly. I, I mean, besides the, the trauma that I endured, um, from being young um, and, and having to go through that at a really young age, mm-hmm. it was good. I, I love the fact that I can say that I am Dominican and that I come from Dominican parents. And even growing up in Washington Heights is very much Dominicans. Uh, well, it's changed a lot now, mm-hmm. but when I was younger, that's why it's known as like little mini DR because a lot of, you know, Dominicans were migrating and coming to Washington Heights. And even when you go there now, like you feel the culture and it's like a lot of Spanish music and food and like the carniceria, la bodega, you know, 
which I know in DR it could be like el colmado, real colmado and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved it. And, and even at home, we just spoke Spanish, hablábamos español y hacer, y todavía hasta el día de hoy me comunico con mi mamá en español. Bueno. So, and even with my aunts and, yeah. and my cousins and stuff. Yes. Same. So I loved it. I loved learning like about the food and dancing and music and all that stuff, all the fun stuff, all the things that make us Latina. I will say that's the slight difference where I have like a good jealous feeling that you were able to have that sense of community. I lived in San Francisco up until I was the age of eight and then we moved to Sacramento. And in San Francisco, I had um, that Salvadorian community. My family was there. There's a lot of panaderias, pupuserias, a lot of our culture, like if someone were to ask my mom, oh, uh, de donde son? If some, if she responded, oh, soy del Salvador, nobody went, where is that in Mexico? That was not my experience when I moved to Sacramento back in 98. Being Salvadorian was not, people were like, where is that? Where, what part in Mexico is that? Oh, you're not Mexican. And then I would go into the, why do I have to be Mexican? Do you know how big Latin America is? Why? I could be Colombian, I could be Venezuelan, I could be, and it was a constant of like being lumped into one ethnic group when you have this pride of like, no, I'm Salvadorian. And then the frustration when you were talking to other people that had no idea where El Salvador was even, where El Salvador was even located. So that was a weird experience for me. Um, it's changed now to where I, there is more pupuserias as more people from the Bay Area or from LA have moved up to Northern California. It's a little bit more known. And I would say with the president now that has opened up kind of the doors and changed that perspective of, as Trump called it, um, a shithole country, uh, that there's so much more to offer, um, from countries in Central America. So he's done a good, a good job there. What is your favorite thing about being Dominican? Que te conecta con tus raíces and you're like, Dominicana hasta, I was going to say hasta la madre, but, you know. <laughs> 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 it just came out. Um, I love that. Uh, oh, my God. There's so many things that I love about being Dominican. Um, I love my curves. I love like my, you know, and even that it, it take it took me a while to like embrace because for a really long time I wanted to be as skinny as possible, right? Because you grew up in this American society where, yeah. where petite and 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 thin is you know like the thing that gets idolized yeah. and praised. So for a really long time, I even developed like eating disorder disorders because of that. Um, but now I'm proud to say like, yes, I'm Latina. I got curves. I got a booty. Like. <laughs> Um, I love the food. Mm-hmm. Platanos, what? Oh, I eat platanos, <laughs> boiled, fried, yes. baked. However you make them, I'm gonna eat them because I love me some platanos. Yes. Um, queso frito. Oh my god, me fascina el queso frito. <laughs> I've had a chance to eat. Uh, like yeah. I just love everything. I love everything about being Dominican. Yeah. I really do. I don't have anything that I can say like, oh no, I don't like this. I love it all. Like I'm proud to be like I'm Dominican. So that's why when somebody's like, stop saying that you're not Dominican, I'm like, how dare you? You're like insulting me and like my identity. Yes, that leads me into my next question. You've traveled back to the Dominican Republic, and when you're you're meeting strangers, you go, I'm Dominican, and people automatically go, well, you're not. You're, you're American. How is that experience for you? And how do you, how do you maneuver that, that uncomfortable conversation and feelings that come along with people being told, well, you're not Dominican. 
Um, I, my instant reaction is, is like being offended, right? Like, I'm like, like, what do you mean I'm not Dominican? And it's just like, I can, and now I, because of my healing journey and stuff, it's like, I've learned to just show grace and it's just like, okay, I can understand why, like technically Mm -hmm. you're saying that, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, again, I was raised the Dominican culture. Like, and even if you ask my mom, I'll be like, mommy, la gente dicen que yo no soy Dominicana. She'll be like, ¿Quién que está diciendo que tú no eres Dominicana? Like, tú si eres Dominicana, you know, like, and and she gets offensive. Like, so I'm like, you see, my mother, like, yeah. knows it. Like, she knows the deal. Um, So when I'm, at first, like, I would get, like, really, like, taken back by that. But now I'm just, like, you know, I am Dominican just because maybe I wasn't born and raised in the Dominican Republic doesn't take that. And if anything, you should be proud that I am taking ownership of my Dominicanness, right, mm-hmm. and my Dominican culture, even though I was born in the United States. Like, um. So I, I, those are the conversations that I have now. And it's just like, you should be proud that, you know, like I am owning this instead of just saying like, no, I'm American and that's mm-hmm. it. American. On the flip side, I think a lot of people in the, in um, our parents' country of origin don't really realize the discrimination and the alienation and the kind of other, you know, that you're pushed out in society being first gen. A, there's this mis, there's this big misconception of the American dream and what that entails. And, and although part of it is true on the flip side, us being first gen and, and we are a living representation of the American dreams by getting things done and accomplishing things that our parents have always dreamed and, and pushed us towards when it comes to I'm just going to say it when it comes to white people and just the way that culture, the American culture is within the United States, there's a lot of racism, micro racism, and um, this underlined message that you're not really American. What were some of those experiences um, for you? Yeah, those Honestly, I I would say those are probably tougher than me having to than people telling me like no you're not Dominican, mm-hmm. um, because with that it's just like I am American. I was born and raised in in, in this and you know in the United States of America, um. But even when I'm placed when I was in rooms where it's like all white, right? Like I I don't feel white at all. And then like the minute I start speaking, mm-hmm. people are like, oh you're not white. Mm-hmm. Like you are you have an accent. Like where are you from? Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the workforce, like I have been, I have experienced sexism and, and, you know, um, and discrimination and, and just because I am a Latina woman, um, again, yes, I know that I'm very like fair skin and I'm, I'm very, you know, like my skin color, people like you're white. So you have to say that Mm -hmm. and you have to identify as Mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, but I'm not, I don't feel it. Like my hair is naturally curly. I strained it this weekend because I was like running all over the place and it's just easier to maintain. (laughs) But like, I have curly hair, Um, you know, and my hair's thick. So it's like thick curly hair. And I have an accent when I talk and stuff. So when I was in these rooms or even till this day, when I'm in these rooms, they make, I feel like an outcast, right? And I feel, um, like I'm not welcome and I'm I'm feel like I'm othered. Mm-hmm. Um so those have been tough again because in the workforce like I have been skipped 
or an opportunity hasn't been given to me or maybe a promotion hasn't been given to me because it's like it has been given to my white counterpart right like but yet I'm here doing the work like my work ethic is amazing right maybe because I come from immigrant parents Mm -hmm. but I till this day I'm like if not the only one definitely one of the hardest working women in the room Mm -hmm. um so when I would be in corporate America and seeing these opportunities be given to somebody else just because they're white, like it would piss me off. Cause I'm like, I have, I'm busting my ass over here. Mm-hmm. Right. And like trying to prove myself and that worthiness that we, that we constantly feel like we need to show the world and, and like, yeah, we are worthy of this. Like, let me prove myself by working hard and like burning myself out. Yeah. Um. So I experienced all those things here in America and court and it sucks. Cause again, um, I was born and raised here, right? Yeah. But yeah, they make you feel like, oh no, you're you have an accent and everything, so you're other than you're not from here. We're gonna treat you as such. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I can connect with that a hundred percent. And um, there's a bit of frustration and anger um, when I connect with with other people that are first gen and other Latinos. You know, doesn't matter if they're first gen, second gen there's a big frustration of this that we have to constantly prove ourselves in the workforce, not only in the workforce, Mm -hmm. it almost starts, it starts as soon as we hit school. For example, mi primer lenguaje en casa fue español. Aprendí a hablar español. Aprendí a escribir en español. Maybe I don't know where all the accents go. A leer en español. That was something que fue sumamente importante para mi mamá el inculcarme la, lo importante que es a, a, hablar en español y la conexión de, de, del lenguaje de habla hispana, which I am so thankful for to this day. When I was younger, I was like, this is dumb. I don't want to have it. You know, I'm never going to use this. But when you get older, you realize that there's a beauty to being able to speak more than one language. Um, and because of that, as soon as you hit school, ESL, you're categorized as an English learner for the fact mm-hmm. of English not being your first language. That from the get-go creates this idea, This this it separates you from everybody else. Now you're in the category of you're not really American, right? It sets that 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 message. And then sometimes and then if you go into higher education chatted with someone earlier about the experience that she had with a professor that made her feel that she was inadequate, not talented enough, that um, el lenguaje español no valía o tener medios de habla hispana no, no cuentan, you know, pero la gente en, en, nuestro, en el país de nuestros padres no se da cuenta del otro lado de la moneda. So by us kind of sharing that story, we change that that narrative where we show people back home is like, yes, we have all these opportunities that perhaps in the home country we don't. And, and, and the government has failed us in that way. However, this is also the experience that we have. We were made to feel other, unfortunately at a very young age. No, agreed. Um, and for me now, like even having this conversation with you, I'm trying to like pinpoint, I'm like, when did I start feeling like others? 
because again, being in Washington Heights and Upper Manhattan, I really didn't feel feel the impact because a lot of other people looked like me and a lot of other people are Dominican as well, right? So I didn't feel it. And I had Latina like um professors yeah. and black professors and you know, so it was to me it was like a melting pot. So I didn't I didn't feel it as much. I started feeling it more like when I stepped outside of New York City yeah. and my grandmother and my dad I was raised by my grandmother and my father they moved me to upstate New York Middletown New York you know because they wanted to get me out of the city to provide a better life and stuff Mm -hmm. and I would say that's when I really started feeling it like people were like oh you have an accent and this and that and I'm like like what are you talking about like no I don't because you know I I never experienced it in in New York um it's normal like it's fine you know it's it's not a thing that they like pinpoint and like say and then they like start teasing you like oh you can't say that like oh say that again and they start like you know kids they start teasing you and start making fun of the way you talk and you have an accent and the way you pronounce that word you're mispronouncing it you need to like articulate yourself better um so that's when I really started feeling it. That, and even as a kid, you're like, what's going on? Like, why are they teasing me about these things, yeah. right? Um, so that's when I started feeling it. And I was just like, where did you move me to? I don't like it here. <laughs> Take I, me back to the city. Yes, and I can pinpoint it for me because I was at an age, I think, where I could understand things a little bit different. Growing in the city um, is such a blessing that I've realized now as I'm older that you have that experience of the different cultures, the different languages, the celebration of different cultures and food and um, music, you know, it's very important to, to, to everyone. And when you grow in a city that's diverse, like for example, New York and San Francisco, there's a big diversity as well. It's kind of, it, it goes into the, the education. So I have very fun memories and I was just talking to my god sister about this because we were, I mean, we've been together since we were like five. I moved to Sacramento. Then her parents, her mom moved to Sacramento a couple, like two years, I think, after we did. So her experience is very is very similar to mine. It wasn't until we came to Sacramento. And of course, that face is changing now with so many people moving out of the city just due to the high cost of living. And it's, di- it's making it more diverse, but... The- I guess people don't know that the more north that you go in California, the more reserved it gets. And so the point of view becomes a little bit more askew. But we we had that feeling, a feeling of like, oh, you speak another language, weirdo. You know, oh, um, your hair is curly. Like my hair is curly. I remember my journey of, I went through a period where I tried to hide away my hair I started wearing colored contacts so all these things that Mm. I felt like I needed (laughs) right it's like all these steps that we subconsciously subconsciously started taking in order to blend in and to not be pinpointed as other and it wasn't until I became older and I I did an episode about about my journey and falling in love with me with with me risos um that I said sorry to my parents because by me hating some something so minimal as my hair and wanting to change my hair color, it was almost sending the, it, it was sending the message of like, I don't like what I was given. And it's so sad. It's so sad that we feel that we needed to do that in order to blend in, that we weren't celebrated for being different or, 
or for having for being able to speak a different language no agreed um I love that you said that about the hair uh because for me it was a little different um if anything my I really didn't realize how curly my hair was until like I started embracing kind of like I I, I went through this whole healing journey mm-hmm. and I was like, I just want to get to like the root of me and who I mm-hmm. am and what makes me me. And like, you know, what makes me Priscilla and Dominican and American and all, all the different parts mm-hmm. of me, right. That make me whole and, and bring me back to self. Um, and growing up, cause I know in the Dominican culture, like salons are a huge thing, right. And like, you know, you got it, you got the los rolos, te ponen los rolos, and, and they blow dry mm-hmm. it. And even being in the city, like, at from a really young age, my grandmother would take me to the mm-hmm. salons. And that was, like, our weekend thing. Like, vamos para el salón porque te vamos a hacer el pelo. So I never wore my hair curly as a kid. Cause, and even when my grandmother would take me to the salons, because I have thick mm-hmm. hair. And I have, like, you see this? She calls it la, la greñita. So <laughs> she would take me to the salons yeah. and she'll be like, ay, ponle como algo para la greñita de ahí, de, de adelante, para que, you know, like, le suavice el pelo. Mm-hmm. And they would like perm my hair and do all these things that I hated. And I'm like, my hair feels stiff and nasty. Mm-hmm. And so again, I never really embraced my curly hair because even and honestly, till this day, I wear my curly hair sometimes. And some of my families will be like, I get pajón, ese pajón, mirate. Like, tú no te quieres, tú no quieres el salón. Yo te pago para llevarte al salón. Like, and it's like, what's wrong with my curly hair? It's beautiful. People buy wigs to have curly hair, and I naturally have it. And yeah. you're like making me feel bad about yeah. it like no and that just comes on on the flip side the the history of colorism the color cast system mm-hmm. um this idea too unfortunately that is still very present in in um the caribbean and latin america today no irnos muy lejanos los diferentes palabras que hay para describir un tono de piel my first um experience that kind of drew me back was um I was 14 when I went to El Salvador for the very first time with my parents and one of the first things I don't even think I don't even think I think there were just like people who lived in 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 the neighborhood and the very first thing was like oh wow que bonita you know when when they would see my mom referring to me oh que bonita que blanca Quechelita, which is like a word that you say in 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 um, Central America to explain someone who's white, and I thought that was so weird that someone was. That's the first thing that they noticed about me, not anything else. Um, it was like, oh, you're so white, and it's something that's so celebrated. The lighter your skin tone is, and the closer to white that it is the more beauty, the more beautiful you're considered by Latin American and Caribbean standards. When in reality, mm-hmm. like we come in so many different shades and, and colors. And by looking at me, you wouldn't be able to tell that I have such an indigenous, like I'm, I'm pretty indigenous. I'm like over 30, 40% indigenous, but I look very Latino European because of the small percentage of Spanish on my mom's side, you know, and that's what people notice. And that's the first thing that they tacked on and that they complimented me on. Did you have the similar experiences while going back to the DR? Oh, yes, girl. Um, 
Absolutely. And because I've, again, I've always been, the you know, very light skinned and very fair. Mm-hmm. And I've always like, this is my natural color. Mm-hmm. This hair color. I've always had really dark features. Mm-hmm. So people will be like, ay Dios mío, que linda, que blanca. So, like, parecía blanca nieve. Like, you know, re- resemble, that I resemble so Snow White. white. Yeah. Um, or they'll be like, ay, que linda, parece una muñequita, like, de porcelana. Mm-hmm. She looks like a porcelain mm-hmm. doll. Um, and I'm like, oh, like, okay, like, but then I, I would see, like, to this day, like, a lot of my family, they have color, como dicen los dominicanos, trigueñita, morenita, uh-huh. like, and I love that. Like, if anything, I'm like, why did I have to be so pale? Like, I, I lived out in Florida for eight years, and I was always out in the sun trying to get some yeah. color. Like, honey, I want to be, like, I want to have pigmentation. Yes. Give me that melanin. Exactly. I'm like, I want to get darker. My father has very beautiful, like, bronze, rusted skin, the high cheekbones, you know, the long nose. I think that's the only thing that I got was from my father was, was the nose, the little bump on the nose. But his features are so beautiful to me. And when I see, um, you know, my cousins who have beautiful bronze skin, and I'm over here looking yucca, like just yucca white, not even. even. Oh, I like that one. I'm going to use that one. (laughs) Just straight up yucca white. I never see the sun. I work overnight. So it's like now as an adult, I just just don't see the sun even in the summer. Um, and, And like, it makes me sad that that's what's celebrated still to this day. And now there's this big movement on social media of like loving your skin, loving your hair texture, loving mm-hmm. your curves. And I find that so beautiful for the new generation of, of um, people who, who a pequeños like Latina y gente de habla hispana que se vea representada because you and I didn't have that when we were growing up. Like I remember being a teenager and the top show was America's Next Top Model. And the the body that was celebrated was the body that had no curves and you had a gap between your thighs. And I had neither. I had curves that started coming in, you know, as soon as I hit 11, 12. And, you know, caderona, you know, nalgona, como dice mi mamá. Like, there's, there's a curve to you. And the, it was just like you, I my god sister reminded me of this conversation that I didn't realize that I said we were talking about um you know someone who has curves when you when you're a teenager you kind of have to buy your jeans a size up right but in that time in the early 2000s when I was like a preteen teenager buying a bigger size in order to like fit your hips was like death you know that meant you were fat and i remember telling i, I yes. said in a conversation that I told her crying, I'm going to stop eating. And I went, wait, what? I said that? She goes, yeah, you were 12. You were crying because your jeans had to be like a bigger size. And you said, I'm going to stop eating. And I have no recollection of that whatsoever. And I just find it so sad and depressing. Oh my God. But I, I, even with that, I could relate. Um, because like I said, and especially during my teenage years, right? Like when you start going into like 13, 14 mm-hmm. and, and being surrounded by other teenagers, which we all know that could be very mean, yeah. right? Like they can, but I remember that idolizing that, like wanting to be so skinny that I had a thigh gap. I love that you said that. Cause I remember I would like stand a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, maybe if I stand like this and walk like this then I'll have a thigh gap yeah. and my thighs aren't rubbing and that makes me look skinnier. Yeah. Um, 
and I have pictures that I like see of myself when I was really like going through my eating disorders that I would starve myself yeah. or there was times that I write I would be so hungry that I would like binge eat and then make myself throw up oh so I'm god, like oh my I god I can't gain weight I can't be fat like yeah I have to be skinny yeah. and it was just like so bad and so toxic and it's just like I I hate that I hate that I went through that and even now I try to be very you know conscious of like when I see younger girls or even on social media, right? Cause that's the world that we mm-hmm. live in. It's just like, embrace who you are, mm-hmm. like love you so much that it's just like, you know, it shows and other people have no option, but to just like love you because you love you and you love you because of who you are. And you're not trying to be anybody else, but you. exactly. Um, but I definitely went through that as well, where it was just like, and even with the pants, mm-hmm. like you said, I'll be like, oh, my God, God forbid I have to size up because my booty didn't yeah. fit right through the like a in size the five or four. And I'm having to wear a size. Eight. Yes. Now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm devastated. I'm considered plus size. Right. Like, how dare I? Yeah. Like, now I can't eat for the next three weeks yeah. because I need to go back to like a size four. Like, it's so toxic. Yeah. What I do remember is that I used to skip lunch. I used to not eat lunch. So I used to eat a very small breakfast, not eat lunch and then have dinner. And like you, there was a couple of times where I was going going down the path of, of eating disorder where A, I wouldn't eat, or B, I would make myself throw up. And I do remember that my mom caught mm-hmm. me one time. And she was like, I mean, aparte de darme una paliza, she was like, what, what are you doing? What are you, like, why are you purposely making you, like, making yourself throw up? You know how many kids are, and then she gave me the, the you know, um, the spiel that I think every mom gives their child is like, do you know how many kids in El Salvador are going through the trash right now looking for something to eat and you're here like barfing it up? But there was this misconception that I don't think she she didn't realize until I started my own healing journey and going into therapy that we started to have these real conversations of feeling othered, um, our bodies being purposely either sexualized or just written away as fat and this weird Mm -hmm. um time period where you're trying to find your self-identity and you're you feel like an like an outsider so you don't want to feel like an outsider but also um you know that you're you're never going to aspire to what the media was telling you at the time that beauty was and on the flip side to with parents and 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 aunts and uncles and cousins you're being celebrated by you're so white oh look at your curves oh my god you're you know look at your hair it's so long like all these things so we had a weird a weird contrast that really really doesn't really doesn't number on your mental health and you're dealing and you're healing from it still i mean i'm still healing from it and, and i'm almost in my mid-30s No, same. I mean, I've I've been intentional with my healing since I started my 30s. Like, I turned 30, and I was just like, something needs to change. Like, it, and it has to start with me. I'm like, what is it about me that I can change to, like, start just being happy and waking up? And, and, and you know, so that's when I really got intentional about my healing mm-hmm. journey. Um, and also, like, from my traumatic background, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure we'll get mm-hmm. into. But, yeah, they're like, I can... And the healing journey has definitely been like my saving grace. My saving yeah. grace. Um, and I wanted to go back to just being skinny because even now, like, right, like I fluctuate in weight mm-hmm. a lot, um, especially now that I'm older mm-hmm. and it's just like the curves and mm-hmm. stuff. And I've lost like a lot of weight in these past few months. 
And again, it's just like people idolize being skinny. And yeah. it's just like, ay, Dios mío, que flaca tú estás, que buena, quédate así. Uh -huh. Like, así te ve más, más linda, así estás mejor. Uh -huh. And, you know, a family member even made a comment, like, no, 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 no coma, no coma mucho, like, para que no engorde, porque tú estás bien así. Tú, and I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, can That's we stop it. doing this? Can we stop telling people not to <laughs> exactly. eat? And because you look better skinny and stuff, yeah. like, stop it. Let's stop that. On the flip side, I had the kind of a mix of both. It was like, oh, don't eat because like you, I, I fluctuate in weight very easily. Um, I would have either don't eat too, don't eat too much or estás muy flaca, come un poquito más. I know, sirvele más, mm -hmm. whatever. And you're like, it, it creates this like mind, like a weird mind fuck where you're like, okay, so am I, am I supposed to eat or am I not supposed to eat? I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. And then when you go to school, you're like, nobody looks like me. I'm way too curvy. Like I have thighs. And so it was just early 2000s. I think we're very just weird to grow up as someone who was, you know, a BIPOC and you're, you're being thrown around from beauty standard, from your, from your cultural background and then beauty standards from like the, the American version and being stuck in between the lingo, you know, in limbo and you're flipping back and forth and just trying to find center trauma, <laughs> just straight up trauma. It's so traumatic, and it's like you said, it it just takes you down like a mental like spiral that you're like, you kind of lose yourself. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You lose yourself. So you're like, if I'm not Dominican enough, I'm not American enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not curvy enough, I'm like too fat, too skinny, yeah. too this, too that. Like then what well, am yeah. I? What am yeah. I? And and then you're like, what am I that can make the people like the world and society accept me? And then it's just like. Okay, first of all, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're going to be you and people are going to love you because you're you. And then guess what? The people that don't love you, then that's not like, then surround with people that you do. But I'm like, I refuse to believe that this huge world, I can't be unapologetically me. And that's accept like, and that's not accepted. So um, again, the healing journey has been tough. Mm -hmm. and, and, and till this day, I got, you know, comments here and there, but I'm just like, it's a reflection of them. Mm -hmm. It's a reflection of them and what they may want to like look like or what they idolize, right? Like if they trauma. idolize being skinny, if yeah. they idolize being like, um, and for me, it's just like what I feel comfortable in. And it's just like, can we just stop focusing on physical and people's like body types? And if it's skinny or fat, like get to know me, get to know me for who I am yeah. and how genuine and caring and loving and like loyal and all these things that I am instead of just basing it off of appearance. Yes. Amen. Uh, what are some last thoughts that you have to anyone who may be younger, 18 in their early twenties, maybe younger than this, listening to the episode and feeling like an outsider today? What are a couple of things that you would tell them? Oh my God. Love yourself. Love yourself so much. You're so beautiful. You're enough. You matter. You belong here. There's nobody like you. And that, I mean that in every way possible. There's nobody like you. People can try to be like you, but at the end of the day, they will never be you because there's only one you baby. Um, and that's the power that you have. And that's the authentic, the authentic, authenticity you yeah. know that that you yeah. bring out into this yeah. world because again people can try to look like you but they will never be you because they haven't lived your experiences and they haven't you know grown up the way you have so that's the power that you have and I just want 
like teenagers and, and, and the youth to know that like embrace you and once you have that core foundation of who you are and you're proud of that like yeah people might try to come and shake you and doubt yourself but like you remain strong in that and on that core and who you are and loving yourself so much and knowing that you bring value into this world that that alone is going to get you far and it's going to develop that thickness right that you need to like be able to deal with mm -hmm. all this negativity and seeing yeah. like <laughs> stereotypes um yeah that we that we deal with so that is just like that self-love i'm so big on that whether you're five years old to like you know in your 80s 90s like it, it all roots in that like you have to love yourself so much and know that there's nobody like you and that's the power that you have and own that um i think that's a beautiful thing so that's the message that i have for the youth love yes. yourself you are beautiful yes i love that i love that so much priscilla thank you for joining me for anyone who's listening please stay tuned because this conversation is not over we're actually going to be um, I'm going to be putting out a bonus episode where we talk more to Priscilla and her work that she does. So make sure you tune, you tune in for that. That will be out next week. So Priscilla, thank you so much. And to everyone's listening, thank you. Make sure you tune in this week. Check out the show notes. I will have all the information so you can follow her on social media and also learn more about her work. 